0: Hello and welcome to episode four of the Ryan Glover Podcast with guests for the BlueWorldOrder.com website. I am, of course, Ryan Glover, and the producer for this and every podcast is Jordan Taylor. You will hear his perspective throughout these podcast and with the final segment of the podcast, Final Thoughts with JT, where me and Jordan will break down what the guest says for that specific podcast today's guest is a man you hear on ESPN 92.9 FM Monday through Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. on the Eric Hasseltine Show. He's also the radio play-by-play for the Memphis Grizzlies. The one and only Eric Hasseltine joins us now. Eric, how are you this afternoon? Great, Ryan. How are you? I'm good, man. So let's talk about the Orlando Magic and the Memphis Grizzlies Monday night. That's the last game that the Memphis Grizzlies played before they play Thursday and Saturday night. It was a 108-102 victory in overtime for the Grizzlies to pull the record now to 26 and 20, 17 and 7 on the home court. So Eric, going into this game, what, what was your thoughts and your perspective going into this game, looking at this Orlando Magic team? Like we mentioned, this team is very young. Got some quality players like Victor Oladipo. Vucevic, people of that nature, but still very young with a new head coach this season in Scott Scow. So, what did you take away going into this game? What you thought was going to happen?
1: Well, I, I was nervous about the game because you just had a very similar situation playing a young and talented Minnesota team, and only a couple things, in my opinion, separate them from the Magic. The Magic have a few more, you know, quality role players on their squad. They play in the East. They play got a little bit more experience under their belt, uh, but very similar uh, to that team. And he just dropped the game uh, to the Minnesota Timberwolves on Saturday. So going into this game, you see when young teams can give the Grizzlies a problem is when they come right at them. And I expected Orlando to do that. They, They found a way to move the ball around the perimeter. They found open shots. They matched up guys like Aaron Gordon and Tobias Harris with Zach Randolph trying to exploit their athleticism. And they have a center, and as you mentioned, in Nikola Vucevic that can match up with Marcus. Gasol. So going in, I didn't think it was going to be a you know a cakewalk. You, you generally never think that in the NBA unless the team is really downtrodden or beat up or is suffering from major injuries, and you're playing really well at the time, or unless you're the Golden State Warriors, I guess. Uh, so I was expecting a fight, and, and that's what they got. And, you know, the Grizzlies were very good at times, and at other times their offense sputtered, but. Uh, The the first half, nobody really played much defense. There was 129 points between the two teams. Both teams kind of got what they wanted on the offensive end. The second half, the defenses for both teams picked up, but I thought the Grizzlies got caught settling a little bit, maybe feeling like they they could take over the game at any given moment. But in the end, they needed to make plays, and they did, and Jeff Green was a big reason why. He had a season-high 30, and it shows when he's engaged in the game just how dangerous this team can be because – if you take away Mike Conley, then you've got to you know, worry about Mark Gasol. If you take away Conley and Gasol, you got to worry about Zach Randolph. You take away those three guys and Jeff Green's productive, and all of a sudden you're looking around and go, we can't take anything else away. So it was a team effort. And Jeff was certainly the star, but uh, that's a home court win. No matter how it comes out, a win's a win in the NBA, and the Grizzlies need as many of them as they, as they can get.
0: So this isn't about specifically the Orlando Magic game, because now it has been about five to six games now that Zach Randolph got inserted back into the starting lineup. So basically, Eric, you're around this team more than anybody, basically. What was the reasoning for Jaeger to decide to go back to the quote-unquote grit-and-grind ball with Tony Allen and Zach Randolph? Why did you think all of a sudden after those those about two to three weeks where we decided to go small and now he went back to Zach Randolph and it seems like he's sticking with him for the rest of the season? Well,
1: I just... Honestly, it maybe was to light a, a spark under under Jeff Green because he didn't seem to be connecting with what they were doing and, and there was a notable uh, disagreement between Jeff and, and Coach Yeager in the Houston Rockets game during that six game homestand. Everybody saw it. I'm not saying anything, you know, that that's super secret news here and you know, I've been around the NBA now for fifteen years here and the previous three years in Sacramento. These things happen. You know, you're around guys on a night-in, night-out basis for over six months. You spend a ton of time together. Players get frustrated and going through tough times, and they tend to take it out on coaches. But these are the types of things that can happen. So sometimes you just need to push a button, and Zach Randolph quite honestly earned his way back in the starting lineup. He accepted his his role on the bench after being taken out of the starting lineup. Jeff Green remained in the starting lineup and wasn't producing. And so – Dave Yeager basically said, hey, listen, I've got to go with the guy that's playing better basketball right now, and it got Jeff to play a little bit harder, it got Zach to be re-engaged, and we're seeing this team play better overall, and um, yeah, the simple fact of the matter is you have options on this team, and that's a, a great thing to have because there's been plenty of years where this team didn't have multiple guys to go to and things to try when things aren't going exactly how you plan them, and Uh, Those are the times when you find yourself on the wrong end of the playoff specter. But as it stands now, the Grizzlies are in the fifth spot in the West. They've still got a very favorable schedule all the way through the All-Star break. And honestly, through the end of the month of February and into the month of March, uh, their last ten games are ridiculously difficult, uh, with two against San Antonio, two against Golden State, Chicago, Toronto, Dallas. You know, all playoff games mixed in there. Uh, but up until that point, you have a chance to really stockpile some wins. So you can't waste time if a guy is not playing well and not responding to what his role should be. And if you got to make a move, you got to make a move. And so Dave Yeager hit that button, and it's worked out well.
0: So now a guy that you mentioned like playing a little bit better, obviously, is Mike Conley coming back from that Achilles injury where he took a couple of games off. It looks like he still is under restriction minutes with coach Dave Yeager obviously had to play the 39 minutes because it was the overtime game against Monday night so what are you seeing more from Mike Conley because it's been quite clear Eric you know we don't have to sugarcoat it here he's been you know one of the most least productive years so far this year minus his rookie in his couple of first years he hasn't been the Mike Conley we've known throughout his tenure here so what have you been seeing from Mike did you think that Achilles injury was more than what people were saying and he just basically needed those two weeks off or are we finally seeing the more confident Mike Conley?
1: Yeah, Ryan, no, he's been banged up all year, and and it's tough. Mike's a guy that won't tell you just how bad something hurts because he wants to be out there. But, you know, during the early part of the season, he was getting to spots on the court where he was normally hitting shots, and they weren't falling. You know, just like Courtney Lee's threes weren't falling, and I think in the first handful of games, maybe first 15, 20, he was shooting around 18 to 20%. Well, now we're at game 46 and he's up to 35 percent so guys tend to go through ruts during a season unfortunately it seemed like three or four of the Grizzlies including Mike Conley in the beginning of the year were having a hard time putting the ball in the bucket and Mike's Achilles was definitely bothering him and that was one of the things about the trade for Mario Chalmers that people didn't talk about a lot because Beno Udry is a nice backup and he started but at this stage in his career he's really a 20 minute per game guy you got a guy that's a little bit younger, a little bit more equipped to take some of those starting minutes if you need to give Mike a night off. And Mario responded beautifully, so it gave Mike a chance to heal up. His minutes have been restricted. He played a few more minutes, like you said, in Monday night's game because of the overtime, and he was being productive. Um, and it doesn't mean that there won't be a night down the road where just one night he says, Dave Yeager looks at Mike Colley and says, hey, give yourself a night off. Give the body a night to rest. Let's start Mario tonight, and we'll we'll get through this one without you, uh, because you're going to need him in the playoffs, and you can't burn him out in the regular season trying to get there. It's pretty clear to me at Game 46, barring something you know catastrophic in terms of injuries or uh, whatever may happen, that this team is going to be in the final you know eight left standing in the West. They're hoping to try to get up to number four, and they're going to need Mike Conley to do that. So. He's been aggressive since coming back from the rest. He's made the shots that you expect him to make. He's also done a really good job distributing the basketball. So, um, you know, as as he continues to, to keep those minutes maybe lower than usual, hopefully the body won't get more beat up. He said it flat out. He said he doesn't think he'll really be able to totally recover until after the season ends. And the unfortunate thing about that is we seem to hear that a lot from Mike Conley during seasons, because that's how he plays. He plays hard. You know, he's six foot one, 180 pounds, and driving into areas with guys that are six foot ten and 250 pounds. And I don't care who you are, you get hit by a guy 70 pounds of solid muscle, heavier than you. It's going to take its toll on you down the stretch. So, uh, good to have him back, but also want to make sure that he's not overdoing it as well. And something else happens where he's going to miss an extended amount of time because, as much as Mario Chalmers really helped the team during that six-game homestand. You want to have both of those guys ready after the All-Star break to
0: really make your push to solidify your spot. Yeah, one more point about Mike Conley I wanted to bring up, Eric. Um, obviously, the Achilles injury we cle- was clear was the most devastating one that he's been dealing with, but carrying it back from that C.J. McCollum elbow to the face, you know, obviously in last year's playoffs against the Portland Trailblazers, it just felt like from a perspective, my perspective, Eric, I don't know if you agree with this, so you can tell me if you don't, but You know, sometimes it felt like when he was doing his pick-and-rolls with with Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph, people of that nature, he would settle for his floaters. Obviously, we know he's a heck of a floater. We can finish with both the right and the left hand. But it felt like the old Mike Conley before that facial injury— would either fake off the pick and roll and then go right into people and finish with his right or left hand for a layup. And now, and now it feels like for me when I'm watching that he sometimes just settles up for the little floater. Sometimes he doesn't want to put his face, his whole body, into people because he might be a little hesitant with that facial injury that he's obviously still dealing with probably. So any perspective, any thoughts about that, or am I just taking that out of left field and I'm just coming up with some random stuff?
1: You know, I think that there's some merit to that. I think anytime you come back from an injury like that uh, – after you let go of the mask, you're going to be a little gunshot. shy. You know, anybody that comes off an injury of that nature um, is going to be a little hesitant. He was a little hesitant, maybe, to take contact, and he had to be in the Golden State series because he really shouldn't have been out there. But he wasn't going to let that series go without trying to help his team uh, become, you know, give it, give them a shot to to advance to the to the Western Conference Finals. So. I don't think it's totally off base. I think it's it's pretty uh, legitimate that that guys do that on a regular basis. Now I will tell you this: he's tried to draw contact
0: more so this year
1: in terms of looking for contact and maybe even hunting it out to get a bump and then try to get to the foul line. As opposed in years fast past where he was really focused on finishing the play which maybe gives you the false pretense he's avoiding the contact. Because defenders know if you're jumping into them to try to get contact, you're not focusing on the rim. So they try to avoid the contact so it kind of looks like you're not really being as aggressive. Mike's been very good with that floater over the years. The injury last year that really, I think, hampered him the most was the foot injury that he suffered in Boston, And, and that was the bigger problem in the playoffs than just the facial fracture. The facial fracture certainly hurt. And it was, you know, ugly to look at. But the one that he said slowed him down the most was the 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 arch injury, and it wasn't plantar fasciitis. It was just away from the plantar fascia. But kind of basically said it it felt like he was stepping on a tennis ball every time he ran, and that doesn't feel good. So um, I think right now he's he's trying to do everything he can, but he also knows you know, he's also trying to keep himself healthy because he knows that they need him out there to be successful, so um, it's a tough spot to be in because I'm sure as badly as he wanted to play, his body was saying hey, this rest really does help as well Um, so they got the most out of that rest that they could and uh, they'll probably try to look to get uh, some other nights for him later down the road when when he needs a night or two off to try to be 100% for the postseason.
2: Hey Eric, this is Jordan. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, so going back to what you said about Jaeger limiting Conley's minutes going forward and him being more cautious with how much he plays and everything. So if Mario Chalmers getting the bulk of those minutes. Do you think that changes the offense? Does that make Mark Gasol more aggressive like we've been wanting?
1: I think it helps. You know, Mario's a, a great distributor of the basketball. You'll see Mario and Mark out there together sometimes, but it, Mario's more going to be the spark for the uh, – For the second unit. Mark's been aggressive. Uh, You know, everybody's talking about Mark not being aggressive, but but since, you know, the the start of the calendar year and since the Grizzlies really got onto this every other night situation since December 27th, where they don't have another back-to-back set of games until the first weekend in February, Mark's been aggressive. He's had moments where it looks like he's passing on opportunities, but Mark's a, a cerebral player. He tries to think it through and sees openings a lot of other guys don't see. So, um, you know, part of the thing about having Marc Gasol is realizing that if he feels like a pass from him leads to a better scoring opportunity than him shooting from 15 feet, he's probably going to pass. The problem is getting him to believe that there are very few passes he can make, unless it's for a wide-open layup, that are a better option than him shooting a 15-footer because Marc's as good as it gets in the mid-range. And he's starting to believe that, but... Even after that 37-point effort he had recently here, guys, he, after the game, said, you know, that's not the way we need to play. I don't want to dominate the ball. I took 29 shots. And my response is, yeah, but you made 15 of them. You weren't out there gunning when you weren't making shots. You made 15 out of 29, and you were given the shots because the defense was clearly trying to take away drives to the basket and almost said, hey, if Gasol does beat us with that mid-range game, he beats us with the mid-range game. It's not a defensive strategy I would recommend to many teams, or if any teams, uh, but for some reason the opponent that night said, hey, if you beat us, you beat us, and he did. He beat them, and and that's what he's capable of doing. So it's tough to tell a guy to change his mentality this far into his career. Mark Gasol's never been a selfish, pound on his chest, get me the ball, I'll go get you a bucket type guy. Uh, But sometimes you want him to be that way, and when
0: he's been that way, it helps. Absolutely. So let's go back to more of that Orlando game now, um, Eric, with the Jeff Green situation, obviously, right? 31 minutes, 11 of 18 shooting, 6 of 8 from the three-throw line, and a total of 30 points like we mentioned earlier. Obviously he had that big steal in that fourth quarter to get it to overtime where he did that beautiful pick and pop with Mike Conley and he finished with about a floater from the three-throw line, elbow extended. So your thoughts from Jeff Green, obviously, right? We agree. One game he's engaged, one game he's not engaged. We've seen him multiple times throughout his tenure here and of course and of course in his career where he's not engaged. So is it strictly Jaeger's thoughts when he went to the bench? Obviously was Zach coming back in about five games ago that he just needs more space. And when he has more space with the Ryan Hollins now before Brandon Wright comes back, he's more productive. Or is it strictly in between the ears with Jeff Green, where it's one night I want to show out and play like I'm a heck, of a heck of an athlete and a heck of a player I can be. Is it just basically all up to Jeff Green, or is it just now that he's finally getting the confidence and that he felt like he wasn't basically used correctly in that starting lineup?
1: No, I think the space thing is a factor. And for Jeff Green, you know, people are talking about, well, Jeff Green in Boston averaged 20 points a game. Yeah, because he was your primary scoring option. And I think all of us that watch the team know if he's on the floor with Mike Conley, Marcus Saul and Zach Randolph, or if it's even Mike Conley and Marcus Saul he's the third option at that point. And, oh, by the way, you still have Courtney Lee, who can shoot from the outside who becomes an option. So they're kind of options three and three A. They're, they're both the third option, and that's different. Uh, he doesn't have to create. And with Marcus Saul in the middle, it's hard for him to create on the wing and drive into the lane. I don't think it's all between the, you know Jeff Green at times like you said does kind of seem to get disengaged from the game there's no denying that uh he seems to get a little bit frustrated but you know in the end he has something that you need on this team and that's athleticism and so when he is making plays uh it really does help and I'll give him credit because after the 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 change in the lineup and sending him to the bench and bringing Zach into the starting lineup he's been an double figures every game but one he's made multiple defensive plays that maybe don't go on the stat sheet diving to save a loose ball hustling after a rebound boxing a guy out where maybe he doesn't get the defensive rebound but his guy doesn't get the offensive rebound and he's been better in his space in terms of his defense where he's been in the right position so you know just a little spark sometimes is what some of these guys need jeff is you know, just a, you know, he's a laid-back guy. That's the way he is. Uh, he's not a bad guy. Every, people like him uh, without question. But, you know, in the end, you see these gifts and you think, boy, I, I just wish you had that killer instinct in you that, that the great ones have. But here's the thing. The reason those guys are the great ones is because not everybody has that killer instinct. And a lot of people don't have that killer instinct. There's a lot of guys in this league that could score 25 a night they had the mentality of LeBron James or James Harden or Kevin Durant because their talent's similar, not maybe quite up to par, but the attitude those guys possess is they're, they're out there to destroy their opponent. And some guys just don't do that. And that's, you know, everybody can sit back and say, well, why not? Well, it's just the way some people are, unfortunately. For Jeff, it's been tough because the criticism has been lobbed a lot on his shoulders. And sometimes it's fair, sometimes it's not. It's a very convenient scapegoat for when things aren't going well when he makes a bad play for people to say, oh, it's Jeff Green's fault. And that's not always the case. This group believes they play together as a team, they win together as a team, and they lose together as a team. When they lose, it's, it's a team loss. It's not just Jeff Green. It's They didn't move the ball well. They didn't shoot the ball well. They settled for bad shots or they passed on good shots. When they win, there's ball movement. Guys are aggressive going to the rim, and he's part of that. So, you know, if you get him engaged and really being aggressive, and he's been in that way the last week and a half, if he can remain that way the remainder of the season, he's going to help you win a few ballgames here or there, just like he did on Monday night.
0: Because it feels like, um, Eric, down the stretch in that fourth quarter against Orlando, and then obviously Minnesota, too, where Minnesota pulled it out, but against that Orlando team specifically, when Jaeger likes to do that offense defense with Mike, Mark, Zach, Courtney Lee, and then Tony Allen, then you switch Tony Allen with Jeff Greener. Courtney Lee, vice versa, whatever works out. It feels like then that's when the offense gets in the mud because you saw in that fourth quarter you would felt like all the time the Grizzlies could hold that lead that they had and then it just you know their offense they don't get a good shot off and maybe until two seconds in the shot clock or they don't even get a good shot off all together and it just feels like you know they're just in mud basically. So how does that how does that help with Jeff Green because you know we agree heck of a night against Orlando but when it comes down to the stretch and it's like four minutes left in the fourth quarter, and he's hot. Jeff Green's hot, but you know he's going to slow down the offense because you have to give it to Mark or Zach or a pick-and-roll with Mike and Mark. How does that? How does Jaeger fix all that together? Because that's where it gets confusing, I think, and that's where you saw against Minnesota, Charlotte, earlier in the season when you had these games and you lost them down the stretch. So how does Jaeger fix all that, you think?
1: Ball's got to stop sticking. Yeah. You can't just go, hey, it's the three-minute mark, and so now – we're just going to run the high pick and roll with Mike and Mark and everybody's going to stand around and watch because everybody gets disengaged that way. And you've got to stay spread out. You've got to continue to move the ball. It can't be put all on the shoulders of two guys. You call the play. If it's not there, you start it early enough where you can bring it back out. You reverse the ball and let another guy go to work. Um, But, you know, there was was a play the other night where uh, on Monday night and the Grizzlies ended up with a shot clock violation because of it where Mark had the ball, trying to back down, uh, couldn't get the look he wanted, kicked it out to Courtney at the top of the arc with about four seconds on the shot clock, and Courtney didn't hesitate, got the ball, and gave it right back to Mark and said, hey, it's your show. Um, That can't happen. Everybody's got to stay in there, and I'm not trying to pick on Courtney. That's just the example I can come up with. It's, It's the entire team. Guys will stand around and go, hey, well, Mark will lead us, or Zach will lead us, or Mike will lead us, and then they get the ball and they're like well wait a minute that's not part of what I thought the game plan was so it's got to be relayed from Dave and the coaching staff that, hey listen everybody on the floor has a responsibility to be aggressive and to be physical and to be resilient and to be tough and to play in your position defensively and if offensively you've got to be ready if the ball comes your way to make a move you know the substitutions you can run with Tony Allen checking in, checking out, the one thing you know is he's going to hustle. With Matt Barnes checking in, he's going to give you everything he has as well. And, you know, Matt Barnes is, is a guy that's not afraid to take a big shot. Look in the game in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, or it might not. It, yeah, it was. I'm, I'm not sure if it was Minnesota or it might have. It was Denver where he missed the go-ahead three and Mike Conley got the offensive rebound. The Grizzlies came back, ran the big high pick and roll. Yeah. Uh, with Marcus all out of the timeout, he got the go-ahead and game-winning basket eventually. Uh, as the Grizzlies were able to hang on. But Barnes initially started that by taking a three. Conley got the offensive rebound on the miss. They called timeout and regroup. So uh, everybody's got to be ready. And that's just that's the bottom line to it is in, in this game in the NBA, even when you watch the Golden State Warriors, and Steph Curry is spectacular, he's not going to dominate the ball in his hands the entire time in a high pick-and-roll situation. The ball moves around the perimeter the ball is continually in the air finding an open Golden State offensive player and when Curry gets that then he gets an open look and he takes it Uh, you know when Andre Iguodala gets an open corner three he takes it so it's a very unselfish way to play and it's the way that the Grizzlies when they play that way it it makes them very difficult to beat even for good teams where they get themselves in trouble is when they become very easy to defend by the ball sticking and just staying in one place and just kind of dribbling down the clock and teams just basically able to pack in the paint and, uh, you know, say go ahead. If you want to run this high pick and roll, we've got three guys waiting for you. But if you want to make an extra pass or you want to deviate a little bit, you're going to get an open shot, but we'll we'll live with that. And make them, make them pay for that. Make them pay by finding Courtney Lee or Matt Barnes or Mike Conley or Mario Chalmers or any of your outside threats, or make them pay by Jeff Green getting it on the wing and then driving into the lane.
0: So final big question, Eric, before we break down and preview the Milwaukee and Sacramento games, this upcoming games. So Chris Wallace was in the Commercial Appeal talking to Jeff Calkins and Ron Tillery the past couple of days, how he didn't feel, quote, compiled to make a trade at the trade deadline. We know we're less than a month away now from that trade deadline. So your overall thoughts, obviously, like we mentioned, Jeff Green, we can't criticize him because he's been playing great recently, and, that's, and it's not all on his shoulders. So do you actually think that this team's going to stay intact in the trade deadline and there's not going to be a trade in the upcoming weeks?
1: Well, history tells us that they they'll try they'll be active in terms of they'll they'll listen. Um, you know, listen. You can criticize Jeff. You can criticize anybody on the team because at twenty six and twenty, a lot of people feel like this team could very easily should be thirty and sixteen in that range, and it's a whole different look to this whole year. Um, I don't think that's unfair. To be honest with you, I think that they've lost some games that they shouldn't have, and people have said, "Yeah, but they've won these games in the last second. Yeah, they've won games in the last seconds against teams they probably should have beaten even more handily at times. But that's the nature of the NBA. And they came out of the gate and they, they stumbled a little bit, but they're now finding their stride. And if they you know, do well in this three-game homestand and then the two games on the road, uh, then you're talking about an 11-game stretch where hopefully you go, um, I don't know, 9-2, and 8-3, and three, and then you hope your next 11 games you do the same and all of a sudden things look a lot different if they're going to make them if they're going to make a move I should say then they're going to hear everything out. They're going to listen to what teams have to say. They're going to not jump at the first thing. Hey, somebody's offering us this for this player. Let's do it immediately. They're going they're going to see what else is out there and see if there's any better offers or if this offer down the road is really what is the right thing to do for the team. I've always said this about trade deadline deals. Be careful what you wish for, because everybody, oh, you can get this guy. Oh, you can get that guy. Oh, you can get this guy. When was the last time you saw an NBA high-level playoff team go make a move where the guy became a significant contributor in early February and, in, in, in a sense, help lead that team to greater playoff success? It just doesn't happen as often. Generally, it's a move to increase your depth. Generally, it's a move to address a need but the player that comes in even though they may address the need isn't con- what you would consider a go-to guy. Well, why is that? Because the guys that are already there have been through training camp, have been through the first 50 games together, know the tendencies of the team, understand the demands of the coach. Where a new guy walking into the locker room say February 1st is looking around and if, you know, a lot of these, lot of these guys all know each other, so they'll probably know someone in there, but how well do they know him? And how well do they understand the system? Mario Chalmers is still working through and, and getting a grip on some of the plays in this system. And he's been with the team for over two months. Ryan Hollins was in training camp and was, you know, on a, another contract that expired earlier. He's He's been with this team. He's still getting tutelage after practice on how the plays should be run. So when you do that, you can disrupt chemistry. So if you disrupt the chemistry, it better be someone that can really help you. Uh, you know, we watched Charlotte the other night, and they got a huge game-winning three to beat Sacramento and snap their six-game win streak from a guy named Troy Daniels. Well, Troy Daniels, for those that remember him, was the guy that the Houston Rockets called up at the end of the year that had been in their training camp, was with their D-League affiliate, was on their roster, but was spending most of his time in Rio Grande Valley in the D-League, and he came in and had a monster playoff game where he went for over 30 and I think hit seven or eight or nine threes. He hit a thirty footer for the Hornets the other night that helped that won the game for them. And it's a guy that's been seldom used. If you could find a shooter like that around there on the you know, on the open trade market that somebody says, Hey, we'll take this guy for you know, a guy like a Troy Daniels or somebody along those lines, that might be the best type of move that you can make. Someone that could come in and has zero conscience when it comes to shooting the ball. They're not afraid to take three after three after three and they're not afraid because they know the odds are they're going to go in. You know, the Grizzlies had a a really good shooter in Wayne Ellington, but Wayne, again, like Marcus, Gasol, a cerebral player, thinks it through, thinks, is this three the best three that I, you know, best shot for the team right now? And unfortunately in the NBA, you start thinking that way, it can go the wrong way. Mm -hmm. So um, it'll be interesting to see, but they definitely will be listening, but I don't expect them to be guaranteed to make a move or to not make a move if they find a deal that fits them and addresses some of the needs like shooting or maybe an extra big man up front, I'm sure that they will uh, they will weigh it, and if it feels right for them, they'll pull the trigger.
0: Yeah, because a lot of names that's been going around on Grizz Twitter the past couple of days has been Jared Dudley at the Washington Wizards. A lot of people have been interested in him overshooting over 39% from the three-point, and he's actually over the last 10 games almost shooting 45% from the three-point line. Obviously, Washington's having a very bad season. Obviously, injuries have played a factor to that. But I don't know if Dudley's maybe the answer there. Um, Eric, obviously, if you think about it, maybe Jeff Green might be the option that you know that might be the trade value because I think they like Courtney Lee a lot. He brings a lot vers- versatile on the offense and defensive end. So maybe a Dudley or somebody like that. But I agree. I think they're only going to make a move if they really, really think they're going to make a move and they think it's going to be beneficial for them. So let's. Hey,
1: Jared Dudley would would fit well. Yeah, and he's it's crazy. Watch Jared Dudley, and I've seen him throughout his career. And first time I saw him, the first thought was. I don't know if this guy's athletic enough to stay in this league. And he found a way to develop that three-point shot. He's not quick. He doesn't jump well. Uh, but he uses his body size to his advantage. Um, you know, he's a little thicker at times. People even think that he looks a little pudgy. But the one thing he does is he's he's constantly giving everything he has out on the floor. I've, I've had a lot of respect uh, growing me for, for Jared Dudley and the fact that he's been in the league as long as he has. and. He's been a contributor for some very good teams. If that's the type of guy you can get, or if that's the guy you can get, then you listen to what they say. And maybe Washington says, Hey, yeah, Jeff Green's from this area. Let's bring him home. Okay. There you go. That, that may be something that works, but you know, again, you're not just jumping at the first opportunity. And for Jared Dudley, it gives him a chance, if that were to to be the case to, to come play for a team that's, that's going to be in the Western conference playoffs. And he has that experience. So, type of player like that if the deal is right again then yeah then I think you can pull the trigger on that one and for Jared Dudley you know look I I like the guy and and apparently he's one of the most popular guys in every locker room he's ever in he's he's very outgoing he's a friendly guy and, and, and and his teammates tend to really like playing alongside Jared Dudley.
0: Speaking of Jared Dudley the ex Jared Dudley team the Milwaukee Bucks come to town Thursday 20 and 27 is their record Eric, obviously injuries have played a couple of factors, obviously actually losing their head coach through injury throughout most of the season with this hip problem. Jason Kitty come back last night, so obviously he will be on the bench tomorrow night for the Milwaukee Bucks. So obviously they're going to try to go small again. Eric, another team that's going to try to play small with Jabari Parker at the four, and then obviously Greg Monroe, their offseason pickup at the center, and then obviously uh, an up-and-coming point guard in Michael Carter-Williams that still has a lot to prove. So your thoughts on that Thursday night matchup against the Bucks?
1: You know, they're, they're good. They'll get up and run down the floor. Their record isn't as good as that team is. They were a playoff team last year, gave the Bulls some fits. Uh, I'm a big fan of Joe Prunty. I think he knows uh, the game very well. So I don't think that that coaching situation hurt them as much as people might lead in. I just think they've, they've had some lack of productivity from guys that um, they expected to be better. Uh, you know, Giannis on to the kumbo hasn't quite taken the step that they had hoped he would. Jabari Parker coming back has been, uh, you know, a task to work him in. And, you know, now you're relying on Chris Middleton to be your your go-to guy. He's leading the team in scoring. Chris Middleton's a nice player, got a big contract, but that's not the guy I want leading my team in scoring. I want him as a complementary piece that really helps you out. I need guys like Ana decumbo who has size and length and athleticism that, that scouts salivate over. And, I, you know, I'm not... As big on Michael Carter Williams as some other guys. I thought that their trade of Brandon Knight to the Phoenix Suns and, uh, you know, they got Carter Williams from the Sixers in a three-team trade, I didn't like it. I just wasn't a big fan of it. I thought they were better off staying put at that point. Now, they made the playoffs last year, but I, I just, I like Brandon Knight's game with that team a lot better than I did uh, what Michael Carter Williams brought to the table. And the reason is that Knight's a guy that, that, can score a little bit better and and a little bit more efficiently than Carter Williams. But I think he also, um, you know, he doesn't rebound like Carter Williams. I I just think he is a a better pick and roll type player. Now, Carter Williams can still get better, and that may be where they're saying, hey, we've seen Brandon Knight stealing. We haven't seen what Michael Carter Williams can do. And he put up some great numbers in Philly, but great numbers on a team that's really struggling can be a little bit deceiving. So it'll be interesting to see because he does have size. And playing against Mike Conley, that can be an advantage for them. They have two former Grizzlies in their backcourt off the bench, in you know, O.J. Mayo and, and you know Jared, Jared Bayless, yep. who have certainly understood the system and know the personnel on this team. But in the end, you know Greg Monroe has had his problems with Zach Randolph and Mark Gasol in recent years when he was with the Pistons. This is a team that you have to simply crush them in the middle. The way the Grizzlies were able to attack Orlando who had young, athletic, you know, kind of four players that don't like to get down and get dirty. Aaron Gordon's still learning how to play. Same thing for Giannis And The Grizzlies had 70 points in the paint for a reason against Orlando. They go back to that, and I think they can find some success tomorrow
0: night. And then obviously Saturday against the Sacramento Kings, Boogie Cousins plays Thursday before Saturday. The last three games, he has 121 points in three games. So obviously he's coming in one of the hottest players in January. And also the Sacramento Kings have been pretty darn good in January too. Rondo's been averaging close to triple doubles every single game. And this right. team, close to a playoff team, obviously their expectations is to be in the playoffs with, with George Call and Boogie Cousins and people of that nature. So I think Saturday night is going to be a, a heck of a matchup. Obviously everybody's going to be looking to Gasol versus Boogie one-on-one and then Rondo versus Conley. I think those are the key matchups.
1: Well, think about that total that you mentioned, yeah. uh, over 120 points. And he had a, an awful shooting night last night in Portland in the game of the Blazers were able to handle the Kings easily. And it, it goes to show in our league how difficult it is to play in back-to-back sets Especially when you play a double overtime game the night before, and in that game, Demarcus had 30 or you know 56 points in a, in the overtime, uh, and got his sixth foul in the first overtime, so he didn't even play the second overtime, um, and he just had a huge game, and he had a huge game the the game before with the career high and you know just numbers that people don't do, you know only three guys had ever had 45 plus points and and over 10 rebounds in back to back games, and it was. Anton Jameson, Michael Jordan and uh David Robinson since the, you know, mid seventies and then only three guys had put up the point totals and the rebound totals since that same period. You you dropped David Robinson out and it was uh I believe it was Charles Barkley in there who did the same thing. And so, um you know it's remarkable when you see a player go on a run like that and DeMarcus Cousins When he's had success against the Grizzlies, he's been able to stay mentally tough and mentally focused. When he struggled against the Grizzlies, it's when he gets upset about not getting a foul call or he gets upset about not getting the ball or he gets upset about a foul called on him and he loses his focus mentally. Now, Rudy Gay got poked in the eye in that game against Charlotte, did not play last night. It'll be interesting to see how severe that eye injury is. You get poked in the eye if it's scratched. You can be out for a good, you know, handful of games. He did not play last night, did not play after he took his three free throws when he got fouled on the play. Uh, he did not play the rest of the game against Charlotte. And I think that hurt the Kings on that night where they were looking for their seventh straight win. The guy that's really playing well for them is alongside DeMarcus has been Rajon Rondo. Now, as unstable as he seems to be at times, He just is one of the best distributors of the basketball that there is in the game. And he had 20-plus assists in the game against Charlotte. And uh, he's a guy that can give you a lot of problems. And if he's connected, you know, defensively, he has a long wingspan. Offensively, he's not going to beat you shooting the ball, but he's certainly going to give you some problems uh, by getting guys set up to score. So I think that team probably has the best chance out of all of them for the eighth spot in the West because of their talent and because of their coach. But remember, they've had issues with their coach and their star players, so they've got to make sure that those coaches and players are all on the same page as well. That won't be an easy game Saturday night inside the Forum, and Sacramento still feels the sting of last year's loss oh, yeah. <laughs> in Memphis on the tip-in by Courtney Lee. Ryan Hollins, who's now with the with the Grizzlies, was guarding the inbounds pass for the Kings and still swears he touched the ball. <laughs> so you know the rest of that team still feels like they got cheated out of a win, and they'll they'll be looking for a little payback on Saturday.
0: Absolutely. Well, that is Eric Hasseltine. Once again, make sure you hear him weekly on ESPN 92.9 FM on his Eric Hasseltine show. Then, of course, every Grizzlies game, he'll be doing the radio play-by-play. Eric, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Have a great day, man.
1: Ryan, thank you for having me. You guys uh, enjoy the podcast. Keep up the great work. And anytime you guys want to
0: have me back, I'd love to do it. Appreciate it, Eric. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Eric. So that was Eric Hasseltine. Jordan, your thoughts? Since we are finally <coughs> in the final thoughts with JT here, Joe, and your perspective throughout Eric's thoughts, what do you think w- that you saw from Eric in that podcast?
2: Where, where, where would you like me to start, Ryan? You tell me. Let me to start with the Jeff Green or, or the game or what?
0: Because Jeff Green, you know, he, f- he feels very confident about Jeff Green. Mm-hmm. I, he seems like now that he's coming off the bench, right, he's more active. And we agree, if you look at the stats, he's been more active, and he feels mm-hmm. more confident now. And I, I still – because I point back to that Minnesota game where he had the five seconds out of bounds. His bonehead plays, like, yeah. You know, stuff can't happen like that in the yeah. NBA. And then when you look at the Orlando game, you're like, oh, my goodness. You know, this is a Jeff Green we've been right. asking for. So one game is good, one game is bad. But Eric feels like now, and the stats show it now, since he's moved to the bench, he's been more productive.
2: I think that's definitely his role, yeah. I like him better with that second unit. I think if you – because we've we already seen the highlight plays from Jeff Green, the fast break, yeah. dunk, dunking over people, putting people on posters. But if you can combine that with the efficiency, with the lack of those bonehead-type plays, mm-hmm. lack of turnovers, and you just you just get a steady, stable uh, Jeff Green, I mean, I think that's what we want.
0: Because we both read the article from the Commercial Appeal slash CBS Sports about how Chris Wallace, the GM of the Grizzlies, doesn't feel complied to make a trade. Mm-hmm. So your thoughts about that? Do you agree with Eric? Do you think they're going to maybe make a trade? We've obviously brought up Jared Dudley. Eric was a big fan of Jared yeah. Dudley, on, and the stat, Shay, he's a great three-point shooter. So your, your thoughts about three to four weeks left now before the trade deadline, does this team make a trade?
2: I don't think they make one though. I, I think they stick with Jeff Green because, contrary to what we say, the public, the media, I think that locker room likes Jeff Green. Yeah, like I think they like him as a, per- as a person, like him as a team, as a teammate. I think from what we see on the court, even though he doesn't jail well or at times he's not giving a hundred percent effort, I think he's won over the locker room. Yeah. So I think just based off that, I think he's staying, and I don't think the Grizzlies should be trying to make anything big anyway. I don't think any kind of trade that they make is going to be significant.
0: Because we've we've agreed, because you're not trading Mike, Mark, right. or Zebo, and you're most likely not trading Tony Allen, because that's the core four, right? right? So between that, you're looking for Courtney Lee, Matt Barnes, Jeff Green, and you're not trading Mario Chalmers because you just acquired him, right? right? So out of those three people in particular... What's their assets? You know, you're not like like you mentioned, (laughs) like Eric mentioned, you're not trying to get a guy in here via trade to be the quote unquote Mm -hmm. guy because you've got three guys that are supposed to be the the guy. So and there's not a lot of guys available on the trade deadline or just available in general Mm -hmm. who can be good enough to be your three A or four option every time on the floor. Mm -hmm. So I agree, it all still comes down to Mark and Mike. If they're productive, the team's productive. It doesn't matter. You won't see. You won't worry about the Jeff Green bad nights if they're being productive. It just sucks so much this season. You've seen a bad game where it was Mike and Mark, and mm-hmm. then Jeff Green threw in his badness too. So yeah. that's why all the criticism went to Jeff Green. Yeah. There's no criticism on Jeff Green when Mike and Mark are going for 20 points each, huh. both having 10 rebounds and 10 assists respectively. And they're winning. And they're winning. <laughs> Nobody cares about yeah. what Jeff Green does. <laughs> so that's the whole Jeff Green criticism this season. Mike and Mark play bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, Jeff Green's playing bad too. It must be his fault. It is still Mike and Mark's team. If this team's going to win and be successful, they have to be successful. Yeah.
2: And I think the biggest thing is like he says, like uh like Eric mentioned, everyone has to stay aggressive. Absolutely. I think Memphis is definitely a team game they they play team ball, they've always been that way. there's never been a standout superstar yep. player, and even though mark we look at him as the all star we look as the player who leads this team uh they don't need to get caught standing around just waiting for him to do something like he said, like they're just standing in mud when they're waiting on him to do something. So I think moving forward, everybody, if they can keep that, that mindset right there, everyone needs to constantly stay involved, keep moving. When you have a shot, take it when yep. it's open. I think that that would be the best thing for them.
0: So Thursday night against the Bucks, Saturday night against the Kings, finishes off the three-game homestand. Your thoughts against Milwaukee and then your thoughts against Sacramento? Man,
2: at Milwaukee, I think that's going to be tough. I think that's going to be tough because they did. Like you said, they like to go small ball, and Memphis is not – they're not the team to be trying to keep up with anybody. So – I th- I think that I think I think they'll get a win though. I think they'll get a win
0: because it's still like there's, they're are relying on Chris Middleton a lot now. Yeah. And like Eric mentioned, he's not he shouldn't be a number one option. They brought in Greg Monroe to be the number one option, mm-hmm. but he's been iffy so far. So I agree. I think the Grizzlies pull off a victory. I think it'll be close. I It just seems like now every game this season is either going to be a loss or our wins are going to be by less than eight points. It just feels like that. It's
2: like no game's an easy game.
0: It just feels like that. So, you know, it's obviously better for the crowd and better for the team because it makes it more exciting, obviously. But still, you would want to have a blowout win every now and then. Mm -hmm. And then Saturday night – Boogie versus Mark is going to be fantastic. Two unique styles. One's yep. a one now can actually shoot threes. And I know that's scary. That's scary. That's scary that, man. And I'm not. And the people that you would think that could be doing that would be Mark Gasol. Yeah. But it's actually Boogie Cousins right now who's shooting yep. threes, and it's just been absolutely ridiculous the way he's been put up. Like I mentioned, 121 points in mm-hmm. three games. He plays tomorrow against the Pelicans, so he could easily be coming in with close to 200 points on Saturday night in the last yep. four games. So, I agree. I think Saturday is going to be a Absolutely fantastic game. Sacramento's pissed off because they mm-hmm. need some victories. You never know what's going to happen with George and Boogie mm-hmm. and Rondo.
2: And they are so close. They're back yes. and forth with Portland for their eight seeds. So. And I
0: think they're more ticked off that they got their butt kicked against Portland yep. last night. So <laughs> I think they, I think they're, I think they handle the Pelicans th- Thursday, and then they're going to be a heck of a game Saturday night. But. I think the Grizzlies pull off both victories. I mm-hmm. wouldn't be surprised. Like you mentioned, Milwaukee, they're going to try to play slow. I mean, scary. It's fast. And speed up the tempo and then try to dump it into Greg Monroe and mm-hmm. see what happens. And then against Sacramento, it's all Rondo and Boogie. Yep. If Rondo gets that craftiness going like he's showing the season with the triple-doubles, it's going to be a long night. Mm-hmm. But I think the Grizzlies pull off both victories.
2: So do you think if Rudy comes back, do you think he comes out with a little vintage? Try to get a little revenge against the Grizzlies.
0: Man, let Rudy do what he wants. It, he ain't going <laughs> to be the deciding factor, in my opinion. I think it's it's Boogie's team now, and then I think it's Rondo's, the second option, and yeah. then Rudy Gay. It wasn't like that before. Yeah. Rudy has to take a back seat if this team's going to be successful. Yeah. So that's all the time we have today for the episode four of the Ryan Glover Podcast with guests. Thank you so much for Eric Castletine for joining us on. We'll be back next Wednesday with another special guest, Jason Smith the beat writer for your Memphis Tigers who covers all great Tiger basketball. Until then, thank you so much for joining with your perspective and your awesome producing. I am Ryan Glover. Until next week, go Grizz.